It is so incredible that Christians around the world are still doing church, albeit in their homes and online. And we are so glad that you've chosen to be with us. So welcome to Church at Home with Riverside Online. If you are new to Riverside Online, we would love to connect with you personally. So please use our Connect With Us link on the website and we will be in touch with you. The church is plan A for the world. And in such a time where the world is in need, we are able to help so many around us. Through your donations, over 80 grocery packs have been distributed weekly and 1,500 soup meals are warming the bellies of children in a local settlement. And we are able to help Riversiders who have been negatively impacted by COVID. So the church is indeed living out God's plan. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that you have provided for so many and that we have the opportunity to be your hands and your feet. Lord, bless each person joining us here today and speak into our hearts. Help us to hear what you want us to hear from today's message and continue to comfort us in these challenging times. Amen. Hey everyone, we've been going through a teaching of Jesus known as a Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus has been showing us what it looks like to follow him and that if we're going to follow him seriously, sometimes our lives are going to look very different to the lives of those around us. Now for a while, I've been looking ahead, trying to see where we're going and I've seen today's teaching coming for a while. And I know that many of you are going to find it hard to hear And so if you're listening for the first time, or if you're exploring Christianity, or if something I say today rubs you up the wrong way, here's what I want to say up front. Stick around. Stick around. Because if all you hear is the first half, or what you think is the first half, then you're going to miss out on the other aspect of Jesus' perspective on this very difficult topic. Today, we're going to be talking about marriages gone wrong, especially when they end in divorce. And some of you are saying, hey, Stephen, this is perfectly timed because I have been living with my husband in isolation for six weeks. And in fact, when you're done speaking about divorce, I think you need to cover murder again. All right. But this is good. This is why we as a church often go through chunks of scripture or whole books verse verse. You see, this humbles us and prevents Stephen from teaching on his favorite topics every single week or prevents me from teaching on the stuff that I know that you're going to be grateful for every single week. And sometimes God's got meat, sometimes he's got pudding, but sometimes he's got vegetables for us. And it is so good for us to humble ourselves before the whole counsel of his word and let God challenge us and grow us in these issues. You see, I don't need to tell you that this topic opens up a can. I don't need to tell you that many people listening to this today are going to feel very uncomfortable. I don't need to tell you that marriage is one of those areas that Jesus and culture don't necessarily agree on. 
I also know that many of you are listening to this and you're single. Maybe you're single pre-marriage and marriage is still something you're hoping is part of your future. Maybe you're single post-marriage. Maybe you're single post-marriage, pre-marriage. I don't know what your situation is. But here's what I do know. I think there's something in here for every single one of you. And even if it doesn't pertain to you directly, you know married people, you know divorced people, you know people who are in the heat of it. And so you can be a blessing to those around you as well. So let's dive straight in. Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 to 32. Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this isn't the only time that Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce. In fact, this was a hot topic. People were asking Jesus about this all the time. Now, you've got to remember that this was a religious Jewish culture. It's not like our culture. where We've got a few religious people in a secular world. This was a religious world. And in the center of this world were two key rabbi leaders. One was by the name of Rabbi Halal and the other Rabbi Shammai. Here's where both rabbis agreed. You cannot divorce someone except for uncleanness. They also agreed on the fact that they were trying to work out what Moses meant in Deuteronomy chapter 24 when he spoke about giving a certificate of divorce. What they disagreed on was what does it mean for someone to be unclean? So Rabbi Halal, he said, listen, if your wife cooks you a bad meal, She's unclean and you can send her away with a certificate of divorce. He also said if she was considered to be a brawling woman. Now what does a brawling woman according to him means? It means if she shouts at you loud enough for the neighbors to hear, you can issue a certificate of divorce. Some of you are like, oh my word, we live in a small apartment. Our neighbors have definitely heard us. What does that mean for us? Rabbi Halal went so far as to say that if you saw another woman who is more pleasing to the eye than your wife, that made her unclean and you could issue a certificate of divorce. Rabbi Shammai, on the other hand, he said, listen, Deuteronomy 24 comes after a whole lot of other chapters defining what it means to be unclean. And so he taught that you could only get divorced if there was marital unfaithfulness. That is what it means to be unclean. So guess which rabbi had the greatest following? The strict understanding of Rabbi Shammai or the more liberal understanding of Rabbi Halal, where if your wife does anything pretty much to displease you, you can just send her packing with a certificate of divorce. You see, in one of these moments where Jesus was challenged in this context of marriage and divorce, Jesus teaches the same thing as what he taught here in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 19, verses 7 to 8, he was asked, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man gives his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. 
because your hearts were hard. This was never part of God's design for his people. And he's saying, because of your hard hearts, I'm not going to command divorce, but I am going to permit divorce as a kind of concession. Jesus continues where he says, but it was not this way from the beginning. And this is where he repeats what he said here in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. So maybe you're sitting there listening and you're happily married. And I'm just saying, well, good for you. Listen on. But maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, you're speaking about something that happened in my life two years ago, 10 years ago. 25 years ago and no we did not get divorced for this reason now what do i do i've got a whole new life i've got kids and i wanted to hold on to that thought maybe you're sitting there saying stephen you've got no idea how bad things are right now or maybe what comes to mind are stephen you're talking about my parents or you're talking about my friends or my kids you're sitting there saying stephen i, I don't know about this this is such a hard teaching. See, standing here today, coming to a passage like this, I've got two options before me. See, one day I'm going to stand before the one who said these words. And either Jesus is going to look at me and say, Steve, my words were there. They were clear. They were recorded several times. They were translated into your language. Where did you go wrong? And at that point, I don't get to say, well, Lord, I was afraid. I was afraid of culture. I was afraid people would get offended. I was afraid of what so-and-so or so-and-so would say. I was afraid about ratings on YouTube. None of that will fly. Or I could stand before Jesus and he could say to me, Stephen, you took my words and my heart seriously. You preach those with courage and with love and with grace. And so I'm always going to err on that side of things. But now, again, going back to this context, Jesus does something very interesting. He doesn't immediately answer their questions about divorce. What Jesus does is he says, let's redefine marriage. Because if we can understand what marriage is, then let's talk about divorce. And so God designed marriage. Therefore, God defines marriage. Let's focus our attention on that. And then let's get to your questions. And so Jesus goes right back to page one or two of scripture when he quotes. He says in Matthew 19 verses 46. He says, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning before sin, before divorce, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. As so Jesus is saying, if you think marriage is simply about a party called a wedding, or if you think it's about an economic solution to your challenges, or if you think that it's just something cool to do for now, or even good things, if you think marriage is just about a ring or just about a commitment, yes, some of those are an essential part of marriage, but that's not what marriage is. 
Jesus says marriage as God defines us is when you take Stephen and you take all of his hopes and all of his dreams and all of his strengths and his many, many failures. And then you take Bianca and all of her hopes and all of her dreams and her many, many strengths and her failures. And you make them into one flesh where God does something. He takes the two and he makes them one. And just like God is three in one, so marriage is two in one. And we are united as one flesh physically and emotionally and sexually and relationally and socially and spiritually and whom God has joined together. Let no one separate. Well, maybe you're hearing that and you're saying, Stephen, I've got some questions. Well, the disciples also had some questions. After Jesus taught this, they went to him afterwards. Um, so Jesus didn't want to look stupid in front of everybody else. But I just want to ask you something. So the disciples say in verse 10 of chapter 19, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry Jesus replies, he says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. And so maybe you too are listening to this saying, Jesus, this is a hard word. Maybe you're saying we are so miserable. We have tried our best. We are hurting each other our marriage has fallen apart and maybe you're coming up with scenario after scenario what about what about what about what about you see here's our difficulty both Jesus and Paul when they spoke about marriage they were responding to questions very specific questions in a specific context no one brought their wife to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, my wife is addicted to cocaine. What do I do? No one brought their sister to Jesus and said to him, listen, her husband keeps on smacking her around. Jesus, what do I do? See, in the Old Testament, there's quite a famous, infamous verse that I think has been used and abused by many preachers and kind of used as a battering ram. Maybe you've heard it before. God hates divorce. And maybe you've heard those words and they condemned you. Now, if you go read those words in the book of Malachi, it says God hates divorce. And then it says God hates a man who covers his wife with violence. And so that is not God standing over divorcee saying, I hate you. That is saying, Along with you, I hate this brokenness. I hate what it does to marriage. I hate what it does to women and men and children and families and futures. God comes alongside us in that. Then there's another context. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to a church in Corinth. These are Christians who are getting saved out of a pagan culture. And sometimes what would happen is either a husband or a wife would become a Christian. And then as time went on, they would part ways and the other would say, this is not what I signed up for. I'm getting out of here. And Paul says in that situation, divorce is again 
permissible. Now, again, maybe you still got more questions than answers. Stephen, what about, what about, what about, what about? So here's what we do. We'll pastorally sit down with someone. And we're going to do what Jesus does, and that is reconfigure and revision ourselves with a picture of what marriage is. And then we're going to work hard to try to get both parties to look towards that vision and repent and do whatever it takes to get there. But that's not always possible. And so failing that, we're going to pray for wisdom and we're going to encourage grace and repentance. And we're going to appeal and walk a journey. And we have had to walk some very confusing paths with people who are walking very confusing marriages. And that is why I said at the beginning of the sermon, don't just listen to the first half of the message or what you think the first half of the message is about. Because there is a second half. There is a second part of God's heart that is going to provide perspective for us. But the second half is not just, hey, listen, there's love, there's grace, there's forgiveness, so do whatever you want. No, the second part is, here is brokenness. Here is a failure to reach the standards that God is calling us to. Now, how does God step into my failure and how does he respond to me? See, some of you have been listening to this. And maybe your situation is complex. Maybe I've touched on your situation. Or maybe I haven't even come close. But you're sitting there saying, Stephen, yes, I feel like we did the best thing. We tried our best. And I don't know what I could have done differently. But if I listen to what you say, the scriptures say, I fall short. Maybe others of you are sitting there going, well, our marriage is fine, but they fall short. And that couple over there, they definitely fall short. And if that's you, I want to very upfront say, stop it. Stop it. Because if we're to bring all of you before all of God's word and cut out every single area where your life falls short, either in deed or action or attitude or even motive, let me tell you that there is not enough space in my house to stick up all the parts of God's standards where I fall short. And this is where we find hope in the gospel. You see, the gospel says that you're not saved or loved because of anything you've done. Now that can be taken both ways. On one hand, you're not loved or saved by God because of all your good stuff and all of your good deeds and because you're awesome. On the other hand, the gospel says that you're not not loved and saved by God because of your failures and your shortcomings. Rather, we are loved and saved by God because we've realized we have fallen short and that Jesus lived the life that I could not live. Jesus died the death that I should have died and that Jesus rose to life in order to give me freely the benefits of his life and resurrection and take from me my failures and my shortcomings. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting men's sins against them. Here's one of the strange things about Jesus. Jesus raises the standards of the law and he never condemns those who fail to reach these standards. And so he says, okay, let's talk about murder. You think you're okay because you haven't killed anyone for the last while? Well, that's not what it's about. It's about being unjustly angry in your heart and your mind against everyone. Or adultery. You think, well, I haven't hopped into bed with anybody else's wife or husband. So I'm okay. Jesus said, uh, uh, uh. It's about living that out in your mind and your heart sexually and emotionally. And that is where the sin lies. And so suddenly on these two issues, oh, we thought only a few other people fell short of these issues. Suddenly, almost all of us realize, oh, wow, I am falling short on these issues. And in the same way, Jesus says marriage, this is what marriage is. And this is what holiness is marriage is about. And this, yes, is something we live for and strive for and aim for and model and pray towards. And if you're dating, this is the goal that we have in mind, which is going to inform who we are dating, what we are doing while we're dating and the trajectory we're on while we're dating. And we persevere towards these things. But most of us realize, but I fall short. But I fall short. So Jesus doesn't just wave your failings away and stick grace and peace on you. Rather, he forgives you by paying for your failures himself. And then he gives himself to you and all the love, and grace and strength that comes with that. So how do I know that? Well, aside from some of the verses that I've already read. We actually see this lived out by Jesus in John chapter 8. Jesus was in the temple, very public place. A woman who was caught in adultery was dragged before Jesus in all of her shame and all of her humiliation. The church leaders of their time had the scriptures open, chapter and verse, saying, Jesus, we caught her. And this is what the word says. What do you say? So Jesus gets down onto his knees and he starts writing in the dust. We don't know what he wrote. But then he stands up and he says, all of you, if anyone here is without sin, go ahead. Throw the first stone. The older men realized, well, maybe I'm not guilty of what this woman's guilty of, but I'm guilty of a whole lot of other things. Other men followed and you just heard the sound of doof, doof, doof rocks hitting the ground as people walked away. Until so the only two people left was Jesus and this woman. And then Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? This woman says, I don't know. And then Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Yes, you have fallen short, but I forgive you with grace. Here's the irony of it all. The only one who was without sin was the only one without a rock in his hand. But now go and sin no more. I'm going to walk with you towards a new life. 
towards righteousness. And this is why it is so appropriate that we end this message with a time of communion. Because maybe you've realized that you have fallen short, whatever the reason in your background. But here's an opportunity for you to literally take a piece of bread in your hands. Some grape juice in your other hand. The bread representing Christ's broken body. The grape juice representing Christ's blood shed for your sin. And you have an opportunity to encounter God, His grace, His love, His forgiveness, His cross, all intersecting your need, your failures, God's love and greatness right here, right now. There is also a very good reason the Bible uses marriage as a powerful metaphor for the gospel. We see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, just as in marriage, the two come together and become one flesh and are never to be separated. So when we trust Jesus, we are forever united to him. Him and me and I in him. And then Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the way Jesus deals with the sin and the brokenness between us and him is exactly what these verses say. Because of his great love for us. He lays down his life for us and then walks us towards grace and love, forgiveness and holiness. And so we're going to take this opportunity to take communion together. We've just heard about how marriage is a powerful picture of Christ's love for us displayed in the gospel. So I'm going to continue to read from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so let us together take the bread representing Christ, the body broken for us. And let's eat together. Now that we've recognized Christ's broken body, let's take the grape juice or the wine representing Christ's blood shed for us on the cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for how you have loved us and how you have never failed us. And you have demonstrated your ultimate commitment to us. And even though we have failed, you got on a cross for our failures to pay for our sin and brokenness and shortcomings so that we can come to you 
and in the shadow of the cross, you do not count our sins against us. So Lord, we bring our failures to you and we bring our marriages to you. And we know because of your love demonstrated for us, we can receive forgiveness and grace. And you can put us on a new path of demonstrating to the world what your love is truly like. And so Father, empower us, empower our relationship, empower our futures, empower our decisions so that we as your people living these upside down lives may demonstrate to the world what you are truly like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today and we do hope that you'll join us again next Sunday. And until then, to see more, please follow our social media platforms. You can also ask questions about the sermon and discuss the sermon online in life groups during the week. If you need us to help connect you to one of these groups, please pop us a mail or find the list on the website. May you experience the Father's love this week.